everyone. It's Tom Salemi. Thanks for joining me on the MedTech Talk podcast. We are in the midst again of uh, putting together the MedTech conference agenda. I have a meeting actually with the co-chairs uh, later this afternoon. But uh, one of our newest uh, MedTech conference players, members of our advisory board, is uh, Tom Ressman. He's the president and CEO of Amphora Medical. And uh, they've uh, got a really cool device, a really cool system uh, in the urological space. And uh, we'll get into that into this podcast with Tom. Tom uh, and I talked uh, a lot uh, about Amphora, but a lot about Intellis. Uh, he's the co-founder of Intellis and uh, led it as CEO for uh, for four years uh, and, and led it through sort of some of those early awkward stages for for a med tech startup. And I really enjoyed this conversation with Tom. Uh, Tom Tom gives a lot of thought to being a CEO and, and what makes a good CEO. And I think you'll you'll hear that in this uh, in this conversation, and we'll, we're having Tom uh, at the conference, so he'll be involved uh, in in that as well. So I hope you'll join us on June first at the Lowe's Minneapolis Hotel, and uh, Tom will uh, will be on hand to uh, to share some of his experiences there. Uh, until then, though, I hope you uh, enjoy this conversation I had with with Tom, the president and CEO of Infora Medical. <laughs> Tom Ressman, President and CEO of M4 Medical. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me today, Tom. It's great to talk to you. I don't know. I don't know how we haven't really connected through these years. I've covered MedTech for a time, and you've obviously been a, a busy person in, in the startup realm. Uh, and I'm glad we had a chance to connect. Uh, thanks to the the MedTech conference. So, well, thank you for your help. Uh, you're now a member of advisory board, and you'll be involved in the program some way. We're still working, still finalizing the agenda. But thank you for uh, for all your assistance with that. Oh, you're welcome. So let's get into you. I mean, you. The question I kind of like to open up with is: is why medtech? You 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 graduated with your uh, your mechanical engineering degree from North Dakota State University. Uh, A good, honest profession was uh, was ahead of you, (laughs) and uh, and you found your way into medtech. Was this always the plan? Did you want to get into medtech, or or did did medtech kind of find you? Well, it's really coincidental. Uh, the MedTech found me, um, uh, engineer, engineering manager that I worked with uh, in a previous lifetime during a uh, an internship. Um, uh, realized they needed some engineers at Simon Life Systems uh, back in the the late '80s, and uh, I got the call and uh, didn't really know what uh, MedTech was about at that point, and um, you know had the opportunity to sit down with. Uh, with those folks at SIMED in the early days. And uh, the, the bug sort of bit me at that point. I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the, the putting the engineering together with, uh, you know, helping mankind. And, and uh, there was a direct impact that we had. And I, um, I was hooked. Are there a lot of people who kind of zig and zag out of the sector? It doesn't seem that way. It seems to me that you're right. Once you get the bug and once you see that the work you do can actually do good for others, it's hard to go on and to design, I don't know, a new computer or a new phone or something like that. Well, I think you're right. Uh, it, it is. I don't think many people leave the area, even uh, uh, as tough as times have gotten for the med tech uh, uh, industry. Uh, people stick with it. Um, and I think that speaks volumes to what we think we can still do and, and uh, the impacts that we can have. And, and uh, people don't move out of it once they're in it. And one thing I found interesting about your background, you look at, at some other CEOs uh, at startups, and they've sort of come into that part of their uh, 
or, or, or I should say, folks entering the startup world come come to it after a decade or more at a big metal device company. Looking through your your profile, you really seem to have been a, a startup guy. Is is that how you see yourself? You're you're in SciMed, Velocimed, obviously Intellis, and now Infora, and I'm sure there were some things in between. What makes you such a, a, a startup guy? Well, you know, it, 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 it's interesting because uh, SciMed was, uh, I think we had 150 employees when I joined there. And when I uh, left there and started uh, in the startup world, uh, we were part of Boston Scientific and, and had nearly 10,000 employees. So it was, uh, you know, I've been in big and small, um, started small and all the companies that I started in uh, grew bigger. And, uh, but once, uh, I started in uh, the startup realm and, and, uh, have that ability to affect more than just your small space, um, you really, uh, get en- engrossed by that. And, uh, I, I never had a problem working for Boston scientific and, and some of the bigger companies. I enjoyed that and enjoyed the people and everything they did, but, uh, startups have a, a certain flavor to them that I like that, uh, just feels like home. Once again, when you were at Boston Scientific in, in St. Jude, did you kind of go into it thinking like, all right, we'll give this big company uh, a shot and, and see where this takes me? Or did you sort of know that um, a startup opportunity would come around and, and that's the direction you'd be you'd be headed once you found the right one? Yeah. You know, it really was just people finding me mm-hmm. and uh, – uh, and, and asking me to join. The first one was Teramed and with Ed Anderley and, and uh, you know, Velocimed was uh, uh, Mike Berman and Dale Spencer, who have been great mentors uh, to me over my, uh, my career. And, um, you know, so it just, uh, it was serendipitous, you know, it just sort of, uh, it found me and, and it felt right. And, and uh, I never looked back after that. And in 2006, you kind of, it- you 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 uh, founded Incubex and you're president and CEO of that sort of an incubator. How did uh, how did that decision come about? Because that's that's kind of on you. You you it sounds to me as if just looking at what's on paper, you said I'm not waiting for an opportunity to come my way or someone to call me. You wanna you wanna find your next big thing. Yeah, that was really uh, that 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 transpired after uh, I transitioned out of St. Jude Medical after they acquired Velocimed and. A colleague, uh, Peter Keith, and myself um, sat down and, and, and really said, you know what, this is a pure play. This, is, this one's going to be different. It's, uh, we're, we're not going to rely on, on uh, other people that we've worked with in the past. We really want to start something uh, grassroots. And we, we went at it from a different angle. We went out to the venture capital community and we asked them what spaces did they want to invest in. And, uh, and we looked at those spaces and and we tried uh, several different areas and eventually uh, found ourselves in the ENT market. And, uh, and that's, uh, that's what uh, brought about and spawned uh, Intellis Medical um, that we started in 2006. So was the creation of Intellis, was that because of all that had gone on maybe with the Clarent and other development in the space? This was a space that VCs were interested in, in putting money and, and that led to the creation? of Intellis or the founding of Intellis? Well, there definitely was an interest in ENT based on uh, the early success of Clarent. But remember in 2006, there wasn't a whole lot known about Clarent uh, at that time. 
And, uh, you know, it really was, it was that it was, it was a white space that there were uh, several v, uh, VC that were interested in that space as well as, uh, uh, just I had gone through sinus surgery myself. Hmm. Uh, my neighbor at the time uh, here in Minnesota was an ENT and actually had done my sinus surgery. And, and we started talking to him and, and his name is Dr. Ted Truitt. And uh, one thing led to another and, and we had an idea and we, we felt that um, uh, there was a need for a minimally invasive procedure that could be done in the office for people with chronic uh, sinusitis. Uh, but uh, we we didn't see tools out there being developed that were specific to the ENT and what the ENT is used to delivering uh, and, and not just a, a, a tool that maybe is an adaptation for another in another area. And uh, that's really what spawned uh, Intellis and the thinking behind Intellis. So... And it, it, it is always great motivation, I suppose, when you go through a medical procedure and you see the shortcomings, and, and I'm told it's a it's a very unpleasant, painful procedure, and I'm not sure if that was your experience, but that, that's got to be a wildly motivating, uh, motivated experience to, to having gone through the, the, the gold standard yourself. Yeah, it, it's really true. I mean, anytime you can experience something uh, at, at the, uh, the base level, you have a different appreciation for the challenges the patients go through post, uh, procedure, because going into the procedure and during the surgery, uh, obviously under general anesthesia, you don't really, uh, know anything, uh, you don't know any better. Uh, but once you've gone through it and you've gone through the arduous recovery and so forth and, and, uh, time away from work, um, you really understand uh, not only um, the impact that that has on you, but also the impact that you've been living with uh, uh, fighting off the disease for, for so many years. And, uh, you know, the surgery worked and, and surgeries do work. Sinus surgeries do work. Uh, but there was definitely a need uh, to get people back to their normal activities earlier um, following um, a, a procedure for their chronic sinusitis. And that's and that's what we came up with, um, and um, uh, it uh, it really answered all three of the major stakeholders' needs. The patients uh, had a procedure now that um, they could get back to their normal activities the same day or the the next day with without much uh, uh, post op recovery. And for the healthcare providers, it was really um, the opportunity to offer this care. Uh, in their offices, really, where the EMT um, was accustomed to doing many of their early procedures was in the office, not in the OR. And for the payer, it offered, offered an opportunity for them to um, uh, have a procedure that costs less. Uh, and there was, uh, uh, there was less complications and procedures related to those complications. And so it really was a win-win-win mm -hmm. uh, for the patients, the, the providers, as well as the payers. So if you, if you talk to Bill Facto at a Clarent about his experience trying to get, uh, get its, its, its product accepted by the, the, the ENT community, he ran into some, some, uh, some hurdles that he eventually cleared, but they were, they were pretty high. Did you find that, that – it doesn't sound like you found that same level of resistance. And if not, do you, do you know why? You know, it, we, we had the same – headwinds against us. Uh, 
Um, it's sometimes uh, hard to change uh, the surgeon's mind in doing something uh, uh, less invasive when they're accustomed to um, uh, these surgeries and um, and how they you know and they and they worked you know they worked uh, fairly well. Um, so yeah, the the but we found that um, uh, really getting to know. Uh, the professional society, the American Academy of Otolaryngology, and the people that uh, were a part of that, um, and and the key opinion leaders, and really explaining to them what it was that we were trying to accomplish, and and really working with them to make that happen. Um, eventually, those uh, those headwinds changed and mm-hmm. shifted. Um, but it, it took a lot longer than I think Bill and myself ever thought it would, um, to get that to happen. And, and, uh, uh, that's certainly something that is, was a lesson learned for me during that process. And that, uh, you know, even when you have a good idea and, uh, it's good for the patient and, and uh, you know, better for the provider on, uh, from all aspects and, and for the payer, um, it takes people a while to uh, to change, and uh, and some some specialties are better at that than others. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think the ENT community overall uh, has has begun embracing these uh, these less invasive procedures in their clinics. Sure, I mean we're seeing obviously a lot of a lot of uh, progress there with uh, Intersect and others. So it's it's a very exciting space. You you. When did you go into starting Intellis knowing and, and wanting to be CEO? Um, I did. This was the this was the first startup that uh, I was this uh, the CEO of, and um, uh, you know we when Peter Keith and I started the company, uh, he did not want to lead the company, and, and and he said I would like you to do that and you're willing. And, and, uh, we started out that way Mm -hmm. and, uh, I learned a lot, uh, (laughs) a tremendous (laughs) amount as a new CEO. Um, and one of the things that you realize real quick, um, and this is important in all sizes of the companies, but when you're starting up a new company, it's the people, um, that you start with. And, um, and, and there's three measurements of those people. Do they get it? Do they have an, uh, intuitively know what needs to be done? Um, do they want it? Do they want to be there for the purpose of, of really developing uh, a successful therapy mm-hmm. uh, from all aspects? And uh, then do they have the capabilities to do it? And uh, we learned a lot um, during that process about people and what you look for in people and providing them the vision and then really using data uh, to make your decisions, you know, and, and not, uh, being an- anecdotal about, uh, um, what you're seeing and, uh, and, and then really, um, treating the issues and having a cadence of accountability mm-hmm. with those, uh, with those employees. And, and, and the, the, lastly, I think the biggest lesson we learned is you really can't fall in love with your first idea. Hmm. Um, the, the, what made, uh, and tell us successful was not our first product in the market. Um, in fact, I think you need to gain perspective by pursuing more than, you know, one option at, at the same time. And, uh, um, I think what we learned in Intellis that I'm now using at Amphora is that 
you know, you, you have to prototype not only your ideas for products, but also your business. And it really helps for you to gain perspective uh, when you do that um, with uh, a lot more certainty of what your future might um, might hold for you when you when you gain that perspective. That's a, those are a lot of great points. Going to the, the, the personnel, how, did you figure out a way to sort of measure those three qualities or is it really just a, a, a gut feeling about a person? You know, we have, um, you know, every company has its core values and, and uh, they put them up on the wall. Um, but one of the things I learned partway through and tell us and that we, we really leverage today at Amphora is um, those values uh, really define the culture of the company. And what I mean is if, if you live by those values and when you're going through the interview process, you're determining through the questioning of those uh, prospective em employees, really if they hold the same values that you have. Um, and then you get a team that, that uh, starts with a foundation that they, what's important to them is important to the company and everybody's aligned. Mm -hmm. And once you have that alignment, I think, uh, uh, achieving things becomes a lot easier. Um, and, uh, and that's, that's what we found. It's not a, it doesn't happen by chance. We, we have a process that we go through. And um, it's been successful for us. It was successful at Intellis, and it's uh, it's helping us immensely here at Amphora. I was going to ask, are your were your core values at Intellis are they roughly the same at Amphora, or is each entity completely different and requires completely different values? You know, they're they're very similar. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have a, a customer focus uh, uh, with a patient commitment element of that. Um, that the patient always comes first, um, a sense of urgency and accountability within the team, you know, of course, things like integrity, but also respect and open communication and that they communicate in a manner where they explain the information uh, that they're using to, uh, to arrive at their decisions. And I think that's a very transparent way uh, to communicate and, and it's good for the team. And then, of course, uh, you know, a strive uh, to solve difficult challenges in a creative way and be innovative um, and how we do that, uh, I think, is uh, all, are all important aspects uh, to uh, Amphora as they were for Intellis. Hey, everyone. Tom here. I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Tom Restman. He's a great guy. And I hope you'll join us uh, on June 1st at the uh, MedTech Conference in Minneapolis for our loyal MedTech Talk podcast listeners. We are offering a discount. Use the MedTech Talk code when you register, and you'll save $200 off of whatever price it is at the time. And, and right now, we're offering a, a discounted price off our full price. So this would be a great opportunity to save yourself a lot of money. So go to MedTechConference.com, register to attend the June 1st event, and uh, we will see you there in Minneapolis. Now back to this conversation with Tom Ressman. And you mentioned letting the data sort of speak for itself. You were you were speaking specifically about clinical data and, and testing of products. That's correct. Okay, that's correct. Mm -hmm. That we make decisions based on facts. Mm -hmm. now that that seems wise. And the, the last part, which I, I think is extremely interesting, is the knowing when it's time to pivot or or change direction. Maybe pivot is is too mild a word. What is that process like? Because you're the 
you know, you're supposed to be the expert. You're supposed to be the leader. You're, you, you are the leader. Um, but it's, this is kind of a, a point of vulnerability where you kind of say, look, we were going in the wrong direction before. Uh, we need to do things differently to some degree, maybe completely different, maybe just slightly different. Is that a difficult thing to sort of uh, say out loud and to then change the direction of, of an entity? What, what is that process like? Well, it is, and, and it requires uh, it requires leadership at not only at the CEO level, but at every level within the company. Um, you know, your ability to structure your business and take a step back and see above the organization and see the bigger picture. Um, you know, you can't be a part of a system while at the same time understanding it. Right? You've got to be able to step back, and I encourage. Uh, all of our leaders within the company to take time each day uh, to really take a, a step back um, and look at the business and, and, and understand, are we, are we going the right direction? And uh, then when you know uh, the right direction, uh, it, it is, uh, it's important that you as a team uh, maintain a level of accountability and, and a cadence of, of that accountability and getting things done. And so, and, and tell us uh, when, when we took a step back and you look out, uh, you know, two, three years uh, from where you're standing, you realize that the product that you have isn't going to probably get you all the way there in the market. It's being honest. It's really being honest with yourself, not keep continuing to tell yourself what you uh, want to hear, but what you need to hear. Um, and listening to your customer. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it wasn't easy for everybody on the team uh, because it felt like a disfocus of what we were doing. And you do have to be careful not to focus on the new and shiny things. You need to make sure that it is really driving towards your goal as a business. And if what you're doing today isn't driving towards that ultimate goal, uh, then you need to make a change. And, and that comes from leadership. And, I, and so I think once everybody... Uh, and the team understood that we weren't going to meet our goal, uh, then it was quite easy for everybody to align and, and, and pivot in a slightly different direction. And, and, uh, and that's literally what saved Intellis. That decision, that decision mm -hmm. two years after starting the company, uh, saved the company and, and made it a public company today. And did, it, did everybody... Uh, fall in line with the idea or did you have to make some changes uh, in, within the company to maybe there's some people who didn't want to let go? No, you know, everybody, uh, everybody fell in line mm -hmm. and, and it doesn't, that doesn't mean that there was total agreement with it at first. Mm -hmm. um, but, but we have a rule uh, of, you know, we have uh, whether it's our weekly meetings or our quarterly meetings and we decide on a strategy and, and the, techniques to get to that, uh, the goal of that strategy. Um, not everybody has to agree, but we need to talk about it. We need to make sure everything's on the table, but then when we go out and lead the rest of the company, we all need to be uniform in direction. And, uh, and that's not uh, a consensus. That's mainly making sure that everybody's voice is heard and, uh, that we make the right decision. And then everybody pulls in that direction. Uh, once the decision's been made. And how far along were you with those products? Because you did, you, you launched uh, Finesse in 2008 and then Express in 2010. So for a company launched in 2006, that's 
it's a pretty rapid uh, commercialization of, of a technology. Well, it was. Uh, and uh, we, like I said, we made that decision essentially in 2008 that mm -hmm. we were going to have a new flagship product um, and have it in the marketplace by 2010. And one of the benefits that you have uh, in, you know, the, the ENT space that we were working in is, um, you know, you don't need a lot of animal models. It's categoric models actually are, are, are the best. And so we could do rapid prototyping, rapid testing, and uh, pretty quickly develop the product. And these were considered class one devices. They were surgical instruments. So, uh, you know, the approvals, uh, approval time was rather short. And that was the next lesson learned is when the rubber hits the road uh, with commercialization, uh, it starts costing a lot mm -hmm. <laughs> at that point. No, for sure. And then in 2010, uh, you stepped aside as a CEO. What was what was that process like, and how did that come about? Well, it, it was very easy. So Brian Farley was uh, I had brought him on to the board uh, at Intellis um, uh, a, a year earlier, and uh, uh, Brian had a lot of experience taking a company from you know, 20, $30 million up to a hundred million, uh, in revenue. And, uh, um, it just made sense. Um, at that time to, to me, I made decisions both personally, as well as for the company that what I felt was, was best for the company and to have somebody that had that experience and leading it. Cause I think we, you know, we had a, a, a tiger by the tail. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a, we had a good product, a growing market, and uh, it just made it just made good sense all the way around, and and uh, I was able to convince the board of that, convince Brian to to, to take over, and and uh, uh, never regretted it a uh, day since. And and now Bob White is leading the company, and and Bob's a great leader, and he's he's done a tremendous job with the executive team that we have put in place there, and and uh, they continue to to prosper. I think I can. Um, imagine what the difference is between a CEO who starts a company or is, is able to start a company and one who's able to lead it from that point of initial commercial launch to greater commercial success. But can you tell me the difference in, in is it a different personality? Is it a different skill set? Is one just more entrepreneurial and one is more operational? What, what is the difference between those two people? Yeah, I, th I think you hit the nail on the head. I think it's, it's, one that's more operational and uh, uh, maybe isn't this uh, great innovator, um, uh, but uh, knows how to run a company and knows how to uh, keep everybody aligned and, and meeting their goals, I think is probably the biggest difference. Now, I, I, uh, there are rare people that can do both. And, um, you know, I think, but that's the biggest difference mm -hmm. that I, um, I see. And, uh, and that doesn't mean that uh, a young CEO like myself uh, can't adjust to that. I think there's plenty of good examples of that happening. And, you know, and my stepping aside at Intellis uh, allowed me to do some, some other uh, things that have uh, uh, really grown me as a CEO. Um, I sit on the board of a company that's a private equity funded company through Granite Equity Partners and uh, the way Granite Equity Partners runs companies um, and, and helps them develop as, as companies has taught me a lot of, uh, as not only a, a director on the board, 
but also as a CEO. And many of the things that I've learned, uh, you know, since 2010, working with Granite Equity Partners uh, has made me a much better CEO um, and much more capable, um, you know, on the operations side than I would have ever learned um, doing it all on my own uh, or even, you know, riding a shotgun with someone like Brian Farley. Fascinating. Is this, is that something you'd, you'd like to do to have your add into your resume? I not only started the company, but I led it to an IPO. Is that, can you, can you have a good life and a good career if you don't do that? Or is that on your career bucket list? Well, I think we never know, right? We never know what, uh, uh, what it holds for us, but uh, I certainly feel capable of mm-hmm. taking a company uh, to an IPO state. So if that uh, if if that happens for Amphora, I'm, I'm uh, I feel confident that I can bring it to that stage. And that is, I I it's like saying, would you rather hit the lottery or you know hit a home run in a major league ballpark? There, <laughs> if you can carry a startup to an IPO, and uh, it's a it's a wonderful thing, and it and it happens unfortunately more. Or, or, or less frequently than it did, but but it did happen with Intellis. And, and, and let's talk about Infora. Maybe this is is the next. How did you come to, did Infora find you or did you find Infora? How did you get together? Well, the, the investors uh, that were looking at Infora uh, came to me along with the two founders, um, uh, Danny Sachs and Ed Lafka, and uh, they knew me through Mike Berman. And uh, Mike knew that I was no longer uh, uh, on the day-to-day activities of uh, Intellis Medical, and he thought that uh, it would be a good opportunity for them to speak with me. And um, uh, so they came to me. And what did you find appealing about uh, the company's technology? And tell us a little bit about Infora. Yeah, you you know... uh, Overactive bladder is our target, and and uh, coming up with a solution for that. And as, as you know, this, this is a large market. There's a 16% prevalence in adults. There's uh, about 136 million people in the developed world that suffer from OAB. And last year, over six billion dollars were spent on drug therapy and interventions uh, uh, for these patients. So it, it's a large existing market. And um, when I looked at the concept uh, that the two founders had developed, um, the, the first thing I went to is, number one, uh, it, uh, there was existing reimbursement that could be used. There was a fairly straightforward regulatory path. And uh, I was convinced that through some rapid prototyping and testing, we could get to humans pretty fast. And it represented what's really important to me, and I think uh, and it's important to all med-, med tech companies today, which is it can lower the cost of care while providing a higher patient satisfaction and quality of care. Wow. And uh, in that regard, it answers all three of the major stakeholders, again, the patients, the providers, and the payers. And uh, that's what attracted me to it. It had a lot of the same appeal that, that Intellis uh, Intellis's market has. And you're headed to a clinical meeting uh, a few hours after we get done with this interview. And I'm sorry, I, I forget the name, but what, given your experience, um, how would you compare your experience with the ENT community, uh, with the uro- urological community? Is it, is it one that's open to innovation and, and new ideas? And, and perhaps you don't see those headwinds appearing that, uh, that first, uh, slowed Intellis? 
Well, uh, you know, that's a great question. And, you know, they, they have welcomed the, the urology and the urogynecology community has welcomed our technology with open arms. And, and I think there's a couple reasons. One is I do think they are a very open society, a professional society. Uh, the professional society themselves, the American Neurological Association, is uh, very helpful and, and works hand-in-hand hand with you on, on reimbursement and, and uh, you know, your clinical trials. Um, so I, I found it to be um, uh, very open to new technologies. And part of that might be, you know, the, they've, they've gone through uh, the mesh issues. Um, uh, they've, they've had a lot of procedures that haven't worked and, and maybe have had problems. And they're looking for solutions for their patients. Um, and uh, um, they, don't, uh, they don't have the dogma of the way they are doing it today as being the best way. They are truly open to new ideas. And you were able to raise uh, Series A last year. Uh, congratulations. That's actually two years ago now, 2015. Uh, two, 2000, yeah, 2013, actually. Oh, was it? Uh, oh, all right. It, it, was a tranche, it was a tranche deal. There was $12 million in a Series A put in by F Prime and Baird Capital. And uh, that uh, was designed in two tranches of $6 million. Uh, for $6 million took us to proof of uh, concept and safety in humans. And then the second uh, $6 million uh, took us all the way through the feasibility trial that we're just finishing up. So did you get the second $6 million in 2015? Is that? That's right. Okay. That's correct. That's where I'm getting my numbers. We we obviously tranching is 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 done frequently now, and it sounds like well you're still getting the same amount of money. You're still going to get twelve point eight million dollars. But how does the tranching, as a as a as a CEO, how does that change how you do things? You know, for us, the way we run the company, it it doesn't change a lot because we are we are goal driven, and. Uh, and so, you know, these tranches are usually tied to pretty significant achievement in the company. And um, so for, for me uh, and, and Amphora, um, I don't think it's really changed the way we view things. We, we still have a job to do. We still have a goal in mind. And uh, if we do a good job of meeting that, um, that goal on time, um, it really doesn't change things. And I, and I think the way we run the company, we, we've rarely missed uh, any of our quarterly goals. And it's, again, it's, it's because of the, the cadence of the employees and, and their accountability and the way they communicate and, and their focus. How many employees do you have now? We we only have five employees, <laughs> and and we've and on those five employees, uh, you know, we've treated over sixty patients already. We have twelve month data on forty of those patients, um, you know, with uh, on a twelve million dollar raise. So we've uh, we've done quite a lot with a little. I assume you're working with contractors and, and such. Uh, yes. Yeah. So most of our executive team is uh, uh, contract work. Interesting. Oh, final question. What, uh, what does 2017 hold for him for? What do you hope to accomplish this year? Give us a sense of, uh, of your near future. Well, we're out raising a, a round, a series B round of funding and, and we're, we're probably midway through that process. Um, uh, we hope to close on that, uh, by uh, the end of September, if not sooner. 
And uh, our goal right now is to kick off our pivotal trial uh, in uh, Q4 of this year. What would be a good word to describe the fundraising climate in this uh, in this day? Uh, you know, a good word to describe it was it would be um, there's not many early stage investors. <laughs> <laughs> That's too many words, Tom. <laughs> okay, it's, uh, but we'll it's, let it go. We'll it, let it go. It's a, it's a, but it's a tough environment. Yeah. Uh, it, it uh, you know, we uh, um, until us we raised funds through the the period after 2008, and it was tough then. And uh, I, I don't think it's fully recovered from that, uh, Tom. I think that uh, many investors that would say they're early stage, um, you know, uh, probably aren't. And so as you're out uh, um, working with them, you, you find that out early. And, uh, and, and but I'll say this, that uh, the investors that are out there that are still investing in early stage um, are really good. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they get it. They get through the process very quickly and, and well. And uh, I really enjoyed it, uh, quite honestly. I, I think it, uh, they, they want to be there. They, um, they know the spaces. They're well read on them. And they make it easy for you. Well, that, that's good to hear. We'll hope to highlight some of those at the uh, at the MedTech conference, and uh, I'll, I'll now let you know and let you go. I know you have a, a plane to catch. I appreciate the insights. I, I learned a lot, and uh, I look forward to uh, working with you on this conference. Well, thanks, Tom. I, I appreciate it. And that is a wrap, Tom Restman. Thanks so much. I really do enjoy talking about the process of starting a company. And I especially enjoy those conversations when the person has given it as much uh, thought and consideration as you clearly have. So thanks for sharing your lessons and your takeaways uh, from your successes at Intellis and now in Fora. And of course, thanks for your help on the MedTech Conference. I really look forward to working more and more with you going forward. Uh, MedTech Talk Podcast listeners, I hope you enjoyed this conversation as well. Thank you for joining us. If you did enjoy it, please give us a nice ranking uh, rating on iTunes. Leave a comment, and uh, most importantly, though, tell your colleagues. Uh, if anyone enjoys MedTech and innovation in MedTech, I hope they will enjoy this uh, this podcast, and we'd love to have uh, a larger MedTech Talk community. And uh, as a thank you for listening, of course, as I mentioned at the break, when you register to attend the MedTech Conference on June 1st, use the MedTech Talk code, and you'll save yourself a couple hundred dollars. And uh, that's it. Thanks for joining us. Go to MedTechConference.com. Register to attend the MedTech Conference, and we will see you in Minneapolis.